Turn our Bibles, if you would please, to the book of Joshua, chapter 20. If you turn, please, your Bibles to Joshua, chapter 20. I know you might be a little bit confused today because you know that I'm preaching from 1 Corinthians on Sunday mornings, and usually we're in the book of Joshua on Sunday nights. But today I decided that I would invert the messages. I'm going to preach from Joshua this morning and then from 1 Corinthians in the evening message. And I'm preaching this message today because this is an evangelistic message. We find the gospel of Jesus Christ preached right here in the book of Joshua. Now, I am also a little bit out of order because I'm skipping over some chapters that we haven't yet reached in the Sunday night series. Uh, we're skipping all the way over here to chapter, to chapter 20. And if you've been with us over the, or haven't been with us, I should say, in the past few months on Sunday evenings as we're studying Joshua, uh, we're talking about this great Old Testament book where God uh, brought his people into the promised land, and Joshua is the story about the conquest of Canaan. The great prophet Moses, who was Israel's deliverer and their lawgiver, Moses was dead. Uh, God would not allow him to take the children of Israel into the promised land. And so now the reins of leadership had been turned over to uh, Moses' trusted protege, a man by the name of Joshua. Joshua was a great military leader. Under the direction and the hand of God, he was able to conquer the land of Canaan. And Israel was able to receive this promised inheritance that God gave them some 600 years before uh, to, to, the, to Abraham. And uh, what where we're reading today is actually at the end of this conquest. Under God's direction, uh, Joshua divided the land of Canaan between all the different tribes of Israel. Well, each tribe was to receive a particular area of the country in which to live, and they were to finish subduing the part that they were to live in. They were to drive the rest of the Canaanites out. Then they were to settle in that land, and they were to take the, the, the piece of the land that God had given them. But there was one tribe among the tribes of Israel, among those 12 tribes, that did not receive an inheritance of land. This was the tribe of Levi. Levi was the tribe of priests, and instead of receiving an allotment of a particular area of land, they received 48 different cities that were scattered all throughout the land of Israel. Among those cities were six cities that were known as cities of refuge. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And these cities of refuge actually give us a picture of the wonderful salvation that we find in Jesus Christ. There are a lot of people who think that, well, the Old Testament, that's just about the law. You can't find any grace in the Old Testament. The New Testament is where you go to find the grace of God. But you can find the grace of God in the Old Testament. The prominent theme throughout the entire Bible, from cover to cover, is that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners from their sins. And so we're going to preach an evangelistic sermon today from the book of Joshua. I'd like you to stand, please, as we read God's Word. We're looking at Joshua chapter 20. We're going to read the entire chapter this morning, beginning with verse number 1. The Lord also spake unto Joshua, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint out for you cities of refuge, whereof I spake unto you by the hand of Moses, that the slayer that killeth any person unawares and unwittingly may flee thither, and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. And when he that doth flee unto one of those cities shall stand at the entering of the gate of the city, 
and shall declare his cause in the ears of the elders of that city. They shall take him into the city unto them and give him a place that he may dwell among them. And if the avenger of blood pursue after him, then they shall not deliver the slayer up into his hand because he smote his neighbor unwittingly or unknowingly and hated him not before time. And he shall dwell in that city until he stand before the congregation for judgment and until the death of the high priest that shall be in those days. Then shall the slayer return and come to his own city and unto his own house, unto the city from whence he fled. In verse number 7, it starts to name these six different cities. And they appoint, appointed Kadesh in Galilee and Mount Naphtali, and Shechem in Mount Ephraim, and Kirjath Arba, which is Hebron, in the mountain of Judah. And on the other side, Jordan, by Jericho eastward, they assigned Bezer in the wilderness upon the plain of the tribe of Reuben, and Ramoth in Gilead out of the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan out of the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities appointed for all the children of Israel and for the sojourner or the stranger that sojourneth among them that whosoever killeth any person at unawares might flee thither and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until he stood before the congregation. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reading of your word today. I ask you, Lord, that you might help us to see the pictures of salvation that we find in this story from Joshua chapter 20. Speak to our hearts today. Open our eyes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Sorry. It's amazing sometimes the messages that you feel that God wants you to preach on a particular Sunday morning. As I look over the congregation today, I I feel probably that most of the people in here are saved. Most of you are saved. And so you might think, well, this is not really a sermon that I'm very much interested in because we're actually going to be talking mostly to lost people or to unsaved people. But if you are saved today, I want you to think about the message this morning. And maybe there's something here that can help, you can help apply to someone that you're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm happy that we're able to preach from uh, Joshua chapter 20. Now, Joshua 20 tells us about some specifically designated cities in Israel. When Moses gave Israel the law, one of the things that he didn't do was he didn't put in place a national police force in order to enforce all all of the laws. So if you were riding your camel in Israel, for instance, and you were going too fast, you didn't have to worry about getting a ticket because there wasn't any police force there that would enforce the laws. But rather what they had at that time was more like an honor system. And that is, if your neighbor saw you doing something that you weren't supposed to do, it was their duty to to take this before the, the leaders of the city or before the elders of the tribe, and they were to investigate the matter, and they were to bring you before a court of law, and they would try you there, and uh, they would decide the matter whether you'd done the right thing or the wrong thing. And so the intention, of course, was that strict justice would be done, justice would be carried out, the guilty would be punished, And then, of course, the innocent would go free. Well, Joshua chapter 20 is talking about this justice system. Only here, it's talking about cases of capital murder. What happens when someone is murdered or is killed in this way? Well, in the ancient cultures, there was a system that was put in place that if you killed someone of a family, of a person's family, then they had the right to appoint a person who was called the avenger of blood. 
And this avenger of blood could come after you, and they could come and they could execute justice right there on the spot. They could take your life away from you if you were guilty of murder. Well, this is what this is talking about. Now, we might think, well, that's, that's a very primitive system, but one thing that it did do, it cut down on the backlog of cases of people on death row, that's for sure, because they could execute their justice right then. But the problem that this is talking about here is what if this is an accidental death? What if you killed someone accidentally? Could your life be taken away from you? Well, there's actually an example of this given in the book of uh, Numbers, I believe it is. And this example uh, tells about, let's suppose that there there are two people and they went out into the woods to chop wood. And as they're chopping their wood, the axe handle flies off of one of the axes and it hits the other man and kills him. Now, could that man be killed for accidentally killing another person? Well, according to the law, the avenger of blood would be appointed and he could actually go and take the life of that person, whether it was murder or whether it was not. And so God put in place this system here where he could protect someone who had slain someone accidentally. And so the avenger of blood would not be able to touch him. So if there are extenuating circumstances, if this is an accident, then this person's life could not be taken from him if he fled into one of these particular cities of refuge. So that's what these cities of refuge are for. The man flees to the city of refuge. There he's protected from the avenger of blood until the case could be investigated and a court of law could be set up and they could determine whether this was an accident or whether it was murder. And so this was part of God's provision in the law for those who found themselves in helpless situations. Well, today I want to use this picture that we have in Joshua 20, these cities of refuge, to show you how that compares with how God treats guilty sinners and how that people who have no hope to escape divine justice are actually taken care of by God when they trust in Jesus Christ. Well, the first thing we want to talk about today is the preparation of salvation. The preparation of salvation. When the major battles uh, in, in Canaan had been done and Israel had conquered the land, when they had subdued it all, they were to go in and to occupy the territory. They were begin to begin to build their nation. And as they went in, they were to understand that all the laws of God are in force. Everything that God gave Moses in the Ten Commandments, all that he gave in the ceremonial laws, all of these things are in force. And these things are to deal with the different relationships that people had and how they interacted with one another. And with the law always comes the supposition that somebody is going to break the law. I mean, that, that's always the case. I mean, we have a natural propensity to sin. We, we go against God's law. We're sinners. And so there is never a law that's been given that didn't carry with it a penalty for breaking that law. So God gave Israel these cities of refuge because he knew his law would be broken. And there had to be a way to take care of a person who had broken God's law and to execute the right type of justice. So we can say, first of all, about these cities being set up, that these cities were prepared for an anticipated need. Men are lawbreakers. And whenever we think about the relationship of man to God, we understand that all of us have broken God's law. The Bible teaches us that all of us are sinners by nature and by choice and by practice. And it's not as if God suddenly discovered that this was true about man. 
I mean, it's not like God was surprised when he put Adam into the Garden of Eden that Adam ate of that forbidden fruit. God knew that that would happen. And so before he ever made the first man, he made a provision. He was already prepared for what Adam would do. There are a lot of people who think that God finds out things when we find them out. And so God really doesn't know what's going to happen. And so when Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, that God stood back and he said, well, what am I going to do now? I didn't expect that this would happen. How was I to know that Adam was going to eat of the forbidden fruit? And so God had to quickly put a plan into place. He had to start organizing all these things in a way that he could fix man and also at the same time satisfy his justice. But that's not a picture that we get from Scripture. God was already prepared for this. I mean, he created man with full intention that man would be the crowning point of his creation. He knew exactly what Adam would do. And so knowing what Adam would do, God was already prepared for it. And what God did was to decide that he as God, he would become man, he would come to this earth, and he would offer himself as a sacrifice, as special payment for man's sins. The Bible declares that Jesus is the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. And so God knew that this need would arise. He knew that he would have to become man. He knew that all people would become sinners. And so God in his grace and his mercy said, I am going to take care of this myself. I'm going to take care of this and I'm going to make man righteous again. I'm going to allow him to be holy again and to be just. Now, God didn't have to do anything. God could have looked at man and he could have said, well, I'm just going to let it go. They've sinned against me. They've broken my law. God has no obligation towards any person. There's no one who can say, well, well, it's not my fault. And God ought to fix things because I'm God's creature and God ought to do this for me. Nobody could say that to God. God has no obligation to any single person. And so we also ought to understand that when God decided that he would send Christ into the world, that it was also God's prerogative to save whom he will. God could decide exactly among, who, among all of fallen man who that he wanted to save. And that's true because God has no obligation towards any person. So we see here that it was prepared for an anticipated need, but also it was prepared for an urgent need. These cities of refuge were there for an urgent need. You see, when a man accidentally shed the blood of another, as soon as that was found out, the avenger of blood was appointed, and he was prepared to seek that person out. And so this person who had committed this murder or had, had accidentally killed someone, I should say, when he's done that, he is in immediate danger. His life is in jeopardy from that very moment. The avenger of blood is after him. And so he has to flee as quickly as he possibly can to get into one of these cities. And if he's caught on the way, even though he might think that he's innocent, if he's caught on the way and he doesn't make it all the way into the city, then the avenger of blood could kill him right there. So his life could be taken from him. So no matter what his intentions are, no matter how sincere he is that he knows he has to get to the city, no matter how innocent that he believed that he is, he was in danger at that very moment. And so he had to flee. His life was in jeopardy right then. And every step that he took toward that city before he got there, he was always in jeopardy. So he had to get there as quickly as possible. And I want to remind you today that the Bible makes this very clear 
that our predicament without Jesus Christ is an urgent need. We are in jeopardy when we have not received Jesus Christ as Savior. At every moment that we live, our life could be taken from us. We don't know when that hour is coming. We don't know the day. We don't know the minute. We don't even know what the next breath holds. And I've told you so many times before in sermons that I've preached that right now, at this very moment, every person in this room is closer to death than you have ever been before in your life. Right now, you're closer to death. Jonathan Edwards, in that great sermon that he preached, uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, preached this during the First Great Awakening back in the 18th century. And he said, or described it this way, he said that our lives are hanging by the thinnest of threads, that right now we are hanging over the precipice of hell, and at any moment we could fall into that place. He said, as we're hanging there, that we have as much ability to stop our headlong plunge into hell as a spider's web could stop a falling rock. That's how urgent that this is. So scripture says this is an urgent need. It says today is the day of salvation. And so nowhere in the Bible are we ever told that this is a decision that we should put off. We're never told that the need is not urgent and we can wait for this. You may remember in the book of Acts that Paul was preaching to Felix. And Felix heard the message, the gospel message, and he became convicted by it. And as he was listening to Paul, he said, Paul, hold on just a minute. He said, when it's a more convenient time, then I'll listen to you again. I'll call for you at that time. And you know, the Bible never says that there ever came a convenient time for for Felix to hear the gospel again. As far as we know, that man is right now in hell and he'll spend all of eternity there because the convenient time to trust Jesus Christ never came. And so the Bible teaches this is an urgent need. Today, you might be ever so sincere that someday, someday, you're going to trust Jesus Christ as the Savior. You may have every intention that you believe, well, yes, I, I, I do believe that I need to be saved. I've heard you preach about heaven. I've heard you preach about hell. And I realize that, yeah, I need to be saved, but I really don't need to do that right now. I can wait till a later time. Well, you can have all the best intentions of the world. But the Bible teaches that even though you may think that you're innocent and you don't need to be concerned about it, yet the need is urgent. Every day that you live without Christ, the jeopardy increases. Every sin that you commit as you go through your life without Jesus Christ keeps piling up higher and higher and higher, and the penalty for that sin becomes steeper and steeper and steeper. We ought to thank God that he provided for an urgent need because the Bible teaches that you can be saved today. You don't have to wait until another time. You don't have to wait until you've gained enough points and until you've gathered enough good deeds and all these different things in order to enable you to get into heaven. You don't have to worry about being confirmed in somebody's church. You don't have a list of rules that you have to keep. There are no sacraments that you have to do. All that you have to do is turn your life over to Jesus Christ without delay even at this very moment, and the Bible says that you can be saved. It's not by what you do, it's by what Christ has done for you. And so this is a a way that's been prepared for an urgent need. God offers everybody salvation at this very moment. 
So here we have God's preparation of salvation. It's for an anticipated need, and it's also for an urgent need. Now, the next thing that I want you to see here from this is the provision of salvation. God has provided for this, and then there are certain provisions that the sinner, for the sinner in salvation. First, we see here that there is the ability to help the sinner. These cities of refuge could do exactly as advertised. There are six cities that are designed for the purpose. And if a person would flee, if he wants to escape the avenger of blood and he'll just flee to this city, then refuge is guaranteed for him. But you know something about this? There are only these six cities that have been prepared. There is no other way that the man could be saved. A man couldn't say, well, you know something? I, I've committed this. I've, I've accidentally killed this person. And so what I'm going to do, my hometown is closer. So I think I'll go to my hometown. That's, that's much easier. I'll go there, and then I'll be safe from the avenger of blood. No. If that man was caught in his hometown, if it wasn't one of these six cities, then his life could be taken from him. And I want to remind you that this Bible is teaching us in this story that help for a sinner is found nowhere else. The six cities represent one plan of God. There's only one plan that's available. And so if you desire to be saved, there's only one plan for you. There's only one place you can go. And the place to find refuge is in the blood of Jesus Christ. Peter said it well. We quoted the scripture last week from Acts chapter 4 verse 12. When he said, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So salvation is very exclusive. There aren't ten ways to God. There aren't five ways to God. There aren't even two ways that you get to God. There's only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. So all other religions and all other ways, those are false ways and they're false religions. You must come by faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Then I'd also like to add this as we talk about this, is that Jesus is not just a potential Savior. I mean, that he, he, he didn't merely come to make salvation possible for people. And there are a lot of people who believe this. They think that Jesus came simply to put man into a salvable state. And it's really not Christ that saves at all when you get right down to it. The thing that saves people is a decision that you make. Is it a decision for or is it against Christ? And so man has only been put into a salvable state. But the Bible teaches that every person is dead in trespasses and sin. All of us are spiritually dead. Jesus told the Jews, you will not come to me that you might have life. So we don't have any hope to come to Christ on our own. We're unable to come to Christ unless the Holy Spirit comes to us first and the Holy Spirit regenerates our heart. And so if you're ever going to come to Christ, what you have to do right now is to plead for that ability to come to Christ because you'll never make it on your own. Only God has the ability to save. There is no ability in any single person. So there's ability here for the sinner. But then we also see that there is availability for every sinner. As we read the story, you might think that, well, the provision here is just for the Jews. We're talking about Jewish law. We're talking about the children of Israel. But what happens if there is someone who's not a Jew? 
What if they're a stranger? What if they're living in the land of Israel and they're not really among the people and they find themselves in this kind of predicament? What are they supposed to do about it? Well, we have to go to the book of Numbers. And there, Moses, when he told the children of Israel how to set up these different cities, he told them what they did about the strangers and about those who were non-Jews living in the land. In Numbers 35, verse 15, it says, These six cities shall be a refuge, both for the children of Israel and for the stranger and for the sojourner among them, that everyone that killeth any person unawares may flee thither. So do you see what it's saying here? Anyone. It doesn't make any difference. Jew or Gentile, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter if you're rich or if you're poor. It doesn't matter what your occupation is. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. None of it matters at all. All they had to do was flee to one of these six cities. And this is exactly what the New Testament teaches concerning salvation. Salvation is in Jesus. And Paul told the Romans, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. And he also said, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so the Bible teaches that salvation is available for all. And did you know that there's only one requirement For a person to be saved, only one requirement. Do you know what it is? A person must be a sinner. That's all you have to be. You have to be a sinner in order to be saved. Well, does that mean then that all sinners are going to be saved? No, not any more than any person who didn't flee to one of these cities of refuge would be saved. His life was still in danger. So the sinner has to go to Jesus Christ, just like this man had to go to the city of refuge. So you have to go to the city to find refuge. And if you want to be saved, you have to go to Christ. What does that mean? Well, it means that you must admit that you are a sinner. You must confess your sins. You must repent of your sins. And you must believe that repentance from your sin and faith in Jesus Christ is what God uses as the vehicle to bring the salvation to you. And I want to caution you that many people are teaching this wrongly because they teach that repentance is simply a change from unbelief to belief. And so they say, well, that's all you have to do. Just change from unbelief to belief. But that is not the truth of the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ teaches us that you are a vile, and I am as well. We're vile, wicked sinners. We're wretched sinners. And we must turn from all of our sins and we must place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Christ delivers us from that sin. And then what happens when you're saved is there is a difference that happens in your life. Christ becomes the Lord of your life. And if Christ doesn't become the Lord of your life, then he's not Lord at all in your life. He has to be Lord of all of this. So you must repent of all your sins and come to Jesus Christ in faith. And so the cities of refuge, they're available for anybody who needs this. And the Bible teaches that salvation is available for any sinner who comes to Christ. Then also we find here that there is accessibility for every sinner. Well, it's great to know that salvation is available to all. But how do I access this salvation? Well, one of the things that the Jews had to do was they had to make sure that the way to these cities was clear. In Deuteronomy chapter 19, the scripture says, thou shalt prepare thee a way. And so it was the Jewish law 
that every year people had to go out and they had to repair the roads to these cities. They had to clear out the way in order that people could get to the city. If there were any boulders that fell into the road, those boulders had to be removed. If a storm came and trees blew down and covered the road, they had to go out there and clear out all of those trees and make sure that the people could get to the city. If the rains came and they rutted out the the roads so that it was difficult to travel there, they were to go out there and smooth those roads over and make sure that people could have easy access. Then there were also road signs that were put up. They had to make sure that the road signs were clearly legible, the road signs that pointed to this city. And so on every sign around these cities, there was a word that was called, the word was miklak, and the word means refuge. And that had to be very clearly marked so these people could find out where the cities were and they could get to that city so that no obstacle would stand in the way of their coming to their place of refuge. And again, this is exactly the way it is in salvation. Salvation is not difficult. God has not made salvation difficult for the sinner. The people who make salvation difficult are men. It's men who add all these external things to salvation. It's men who, in all their plans and their schemes, make salvation a difficult thing. And so there are some who say that there are sacraments that you have to keep, or those rules that I was talking about. And even if you keep all the sacraments and you keep all the rules, then the road is still rough. It's still going to be hard for you. And you might not even make it after all. But that's not the way it is with true salvation. It is not difficult for the sinner. Did you know that there are many people who accuse Baptists of making it very hard for people to be saved? That we are so narrow-minded that we obstruct the way of salvation? But you know the truth of the matter is that Baptist people are the most open-minded of all when it comes to salvation. Because we don't put any extra requirements upon it. I've never said that you have to be a member of a Baptist church in order to get to heaven. But did you know that the Roman Catholics say that you have to be a member of their church or you're not going to heaven? I've never said that you have to be baptized in order to get to heaven. But the Roman Catholic Church, the Churches of Christ, the Lutheran Church, and many others, they say you have to be baptized in order to go to heaven. I've never told you that you have to get into a confessional booth I've never said that you have to pray to Mary in order for you to be saved because the Bible doesn't say anything like that. The only thing that I say is that you just must believe that Jesus died to save you from your sins. Jesus does not want anything from you. And that's because Jesus has already done it all. And if you come to him offering anything for salvation, then you'll be rejected. God doesn't want anything you have. And the reason that he doesn't is because he does not want to share the glory of salvation with you. So even your faith must be God-given. Because God's not even going to share the fact that you had faith in him to believe. God gives you your faith. Now what we need to do is that we need to set up a road sign that points only to Jesus Christ that tells that this is the only way that a person can be saved. It's not Christ plus sacraments. It's not Christ plus Mary. It's not Christ plus anything. It's Jesus Christ alone. But then there's another important part to this. There is also accountability for every sinner. See, the Bible teaches God's sovereignty and salvation, and we preach that here. 
But the Bible also teaches about human responsibility. The man who was guilty of this crime, he had to flee to the city. The city is there, and he has to avail, him, avail himself of it. So he just can't sit down and say, well, if I'm going to be saved, if I'm going to be set free, then fate will allow me to be set free. I'll just sit here. I'll do nothing. There's no requirement for me. Well, if he did, he would be killed. The avenger of blood would be on him in a heartbeat. And so what did he do? He got up. And he fled to that city as fast as he could. And that's the way that God works in a sinner's heart. When God awakens a sinner to sin, and when he understands that he's on his way to hell, and that he is hanging over that precipice that we talked a moment ago, when he understands he's hanging over it, and he'll fall into it in any moment, when God awakens the sinner to that condition, what does he do? He flees to Jesus Christ. He goes as fast as he can. He won't stay where he is because he knows that hell is waiting to receive him. And so a person who is about to be saved doesn't say, well, nothing is required. He looks at it this way. He's being drawn by cords of love. And so he comes to Christ freely responding to the call of Jesus. Friend, every one of us, we are all accountable to God. The Bible says that God has commended all men, commanded all men everywhere to repent. And there's only one refuge for the repentant sinner. But then there's still another important aspect of these cities that I want you to see. We see the preparation of salvation and the provision for it. But also, there is the protection of salvation. The city of refuge is exactly what the name depicts. It is a place of refuge. No harm will come to this person who flees to that city because the avenger of blood cannot hurt him there. He can't touch him there. He's safeguarded from all harm. Now, obviously, the person has to be innocent. I mean, the trial is going to find that out. And if he's not innocent, then he'll be cast out of the city and then he'll be put to death. But here's the wonderful thing that we find out about salvation. When you come to Jesus Christ and you receive him as your Savior you receive a full pardon for your sins. But the pardon doesn't come because you've gained that because you're innocent on your own merits. No, you're a guilty sinner. The only way that you are pardoned from your sin is because Jesus Christ has taken the penalty of sin for you. And the reason that you're innocent is not on your merits, but upon the merits of Jesus Christ. You see, when Jesus came to this world, he came here to live a perfect life. And he lived a perfect life of righteousness, and he takes that righteousness, and he gives that righteousness to you when you trust him as your Savior. So no one is released from their guilt merely because they've been pardoned and no payment has been made. God's justice says that sin has to be satisfied. The payment for sin must be met. And that's what Jesus did. He paid the penalty of God's law for you. And that's what we call real penal substitution. Christ died on the cross so that you would not have to suffer in hell. And he earned the righteousness to give to you that counts for your justification. But there are two beautiful pictures of protection that are found in the cities of refuge. The first one is that there is safety in the life of Christ. There is safety in the life of Christ. Look at verse number 6 in Joshua 20. And he shall dwell in that city until he stand before the congregation for judgment 
and until the death of the high priest that shall be in those days, then shall the slayer return and come to his own city and unto his own house, unto the city from whence he fled. So this man who sought protection in the city, he was to stay in that city until the death of the high priest. During the tenure of the high priest's life, he was always safe in the city. No one could harm him there. And in salvation, the Bible teaches us that Christ is our high priest. And the Bible says that he ever lives to make intercession for us. And so as long as Christ lives, that means that the person who trusts in him will be safe. You see, if you were to lose your salvation, that means that Christ would have to die. And I'm not talking about his death on the cross. We're past that at this point. We're not talking about that death. I mean that the Son of God himself would have to cease to exist. He would go out of existence. That's an impossible thing. He's eternal God. And so when the Bible says that he ever lives to make intercession for us, that means that Christ always lives to protect us. Our salvation is always there. We can never lose our salvation as long as Christ lives. And since he lives forever, that means that you're saved forever. But we're talking about a man here in, in this story. The high priest is a man. He's only a man and he's going to die. He doesn't have an endless life, not like Christ, and so he dies. So there's another provision in the law here. Something happens when the high priest dies. When the high priest dies, the man is set free. Now he can leave the city. He can go back to where he came from. He can go to his hometown. He can go to his own house, and he can live there. And what this teaches us is that the man is never in danger of judgment again. And so we can say next is that there is freedom in the death of Christ. Freedom in the death of Christ. Because Christ died on the cross, every person who flees to him is free from the penalty and the power of sin. Romans 8 verse 1 says, There's therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. So what Christ's death did, it canceled the sin debt for the believer. And that means that now we're able to walk in the newness of life Christ's life becomes our protection. Christ's death becomes our propitiation. And what that means is that Christ's death is the covering for all of our sin. And so when God looks at us, he never sees us. He sees Jesus Christ. We are in him, and he sees our righteousness in Jesus Christ. So do you see what a wonderful thing this is, that salvation has been prepared for sinners? The way of the cross is very clearly marked. What God has done, he's given us this roadmap. In here, we find the way of salvation. We find the way to God. And it's been so clearly marked that any person in here today, you can just read about it, you can hear about it, and you can find your way to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you miss the road sign, if you miss this, and you try to go some other way, you try to get there in another method, then you'll miss heaven and you'll miss eternal life. And that's why I believe that the Bible is so clear about our salvation. And friends, I want to tell you that if you're lost here today, that God has provided a way for you. His name is Jesus. You can trust him right now today and you'll be free from that penalty of sin. And so as these people in the Old Testament times had to flee to the city of refuge, I encourage you today to flee also to the city of refuge 
Only you need to flee to the place where Jesus Christ is. Flee to the one who sits on the throne. Flee to that one who's in the city, whose builder and maker is God. And then the Bible teaches that you will have refuge as a sinner from all of the penalty of sin. I encourage you today, trust Christ. Flee to him for your refuge. Would you pray with me, please? Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful today for the clearness of salvation. We're thankful, Lord, for this story that we can read in the Old Testament that tells us about the gospel of Jesus Christ. A wonderful picture we have that Jesus saves and only Jesus saves. I ask you, Lord, if there's someone here today who doesn't know you as Savior, that right now, at this very moment, they would put their trust in you. They must flee to you now. The need is urgent. Today is the day of salvation. Would you speak to some heart today? We give you the praise for this. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.